Check, check, mic check. Check, check, mic check. <laughs> Welcome to Podcast Envy. I'm your podcast boss, Andrea Clender. This is episode 49, and today we are talking with one of my clients. This is a conversation with Stacy Massey, the producer and host of How's Business. How's Business is a podcast created for and by the IJ Clinic, which is the Institute for Justice Clinic on Entrepreneurship located here in Chicago, Illinois. And this episode is for you. If you are a podcaster in the nonprofit and or social impact space, If you are a podcast producer and or editor who is looking to work with more nonprofit organizations, and if you are someone who is curious about starting a podcast in the nonprofit and or social impact space, you'll hear more about the IJ Clinic's mission and the thought process behind the House Business Podcast from Stacey. So not much I need to say there, but we will be talking about wins, struggles, challenges, and also how it is to work with me as a producer and editor. If you can imagine creating public media that is part of the outreach strategy for a nonprofit that is made up of a bunch of lawyers, (laughs) there's a lot of passes that need to go and there's a lot of ears that need to listen before things get approved. So working on house business has definitely been unique in terms of figuring out our process, our workflow, and how we make sure that even though there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, it comes out just right. I encourage you, of course, to check out the House Business Podcast wherever it is that you happen to be listening to Podcast Envy. Links to all things IJ Clinic and House Business will be in the show notes for this episode, of course, at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash pod envy 049 for episode 49. All right, let me introduce you to Stacey Massey of House Business. Stacey Massey, thank you for being actually an in-person interview recording in my home studio. This is only the second time that I've done an in-person interview at home rather than on the internet. So it's like a whole different world. Very exciting to actually see your face. Very nice digs. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the Institute for Justice Clinic on Entrepreneurship and your role with this organization. Sure. So the IJ Clinic, that's short for Institute for Justice, Clinic on Entrepreneurship is located at the University of Chicago Law School. And we do free legal aid for low-income entrepreneurs. And we're able to do that because law students at the University of Chicago Law School want experience doing transactional and regulatory work. That's probably the kind of fields they're interested in when they graduate. So they get their feet wet while they're in law school by doing work for our clients who are low-income business owners in Chicago who are experiencing like pretty heavy regulatory burden. So that's like food businesses, moving businesses, carpenters, massage therapists. These are all people who make relatively little, so it could be hard for them to hire an attorney, but we value them as entrepreneurs in the ecosystem. So we want to provide that legal service. And how did you get involved with working with the IJ Clinic? So I was working at a homeless shelter before the IJ Clinic in development. And for me, it felt important to get closer to the actual work that was getting done at a nonprofit. So I wanted to move program side, but I'm not a social worker. Definitely don't have the skill set to work directly with folks who are experiencing housing instability. 
But one skill set I do have is the ability to work with small business owners. So I switched to the Institute for Justice and I do all of the programming. So planning all of the events for entrepreneurs who could eventually become our clients. The legal work all stays in the hands of the students and our two fabulous attorneys. And you are actually in the process of a transition as we speak out of that role. What is happening next for you? Yeah, so next I'm going to law school. Uh, I've watched four classes of really talented students graduate and get fantastic jobs as attorneys. And after watching it four times, I thought, it's, it's my turn. I want to do that. So I'm going to the University of Iowa Law School in the fall. And that's not something that you planned when you started working with the IJ Clinic? Like, did you have an inkling that you might want to do that or... No, I had an inkling that I wanted to go to law school when I was in high school and at the very beginning of college, but neither of my parents even graduated from high school, much less college, much less, you know, advanced education. So I think by the time that I started making money, I was like, yeah, I'm never going to be in a place where that's not my (laughs) ultimate goal is to earn a living. But watching the other students and watching entrepreneurs take years of time where they're not making a profit, they're just investing themselves and trying to build so that they can like contribute to the world in the way that they think they're best fit to. So seeing people take those kinds of risks has helped me see that like I could do that too. Yeah, I think that's a big challenge sometimes for people to wrap their mind around. I know that when I was working full time in an administrative job with a nonprofit organization and decided that I was going to leave that job and start a business, there were people in my life who could not fathom how you could leave behind that steady paycheck. They're like, but how will you survive? How will you make money? How will you pay yourself? And I'm like, these are all very good questions, but it does feel like a big risk. It does absolutely feel like a big risk. Luckily, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who are setting examples for me of how to manage when you're dealing with that kind of risk and how to like be flexible and realistic with yourself about what your goals should be. And I'll definitely be thinking about them a lot as I'm like running low on cash flow. Yeah, as I've been listening to all of the interviews that you have conducted for How's Business since I'm editing them, I have listened to them multiple times and read transcripts. I can probably recite parts of some of the interviews, I'm sure, by this point. (laughs) That's one thing that has been really interesting is just seeing different industries, different business models, and different neighborhoods, and different personality types. Mm -hmm. And you ask sort of similar questions for all of the entrepreneurs and all of the businesses who are featured. But it's interesting to see how different people approach sort of some of the same challenges. What have been some of the most interesting things that have come out of these conversations? Yeah, I always appreciated entrepreneurs like from the very first day of this job, just because we have a front row seat for how much regulatory stuff they have to sort through mm-hmm. in order to you know give us the goods and services that we all really appreciate. So I always knew like it isn't particularly easy to be an entrepreneur and I should appreciate that they're doing these things for us. But I think that through having these conversations, I got a clearer picture of what kind of a limb they're stepping out on in order to like serve us the pizza that we love and like keep their bar open until 5 a.m. instead of 3 a.m. A lot of entrepreneurs really don't make any money for like the first five years. Like break even can be really, really far away. Mm-hmm. And every reasonable part of my being says like, if you're not going to make money for five years, you shouldn't do that. Um, and so <laughs> I'm appreciative that there are people out there who are like, yeah, I think I am okay with not making money for five years. And I think that like seeing the sacrifices that people are willing to make has been really mind-blowing. Another thing that people sometimes think is that starting a podcast is terrifying or like stepping out on a limb. Getting behind a mic and recording your voice can seem like a scary venture. Whose idea was it 
to start How's Business? How did that podcast vision evolve? Yeah, so it started with someone in our office had an interest in sort of remaking the Humans of New York campaign Mm -hmm. to be about entrepreneurs in Chicago. And we were hearing resoundingly from our media team that there are a lot of people who are trying to duplicate that same kind of thing and it'll get lost in the noise and it'll be a big investment in terms of like, there's no one on our team who already has photography as a capacity and the kinds of photography that you need to make a compelling campaign like that. It's not just like run of the mill. It needs to be excellent. So we knew that that wasn't necessarily the way to go, but we did want to find a way to do this slice of life. How do we share what we get to learn from entrepreneurs with all these other people and with lawmakers who are making the decisions about what entrepreneurs have to jump through? So our communications person, Justin Wilson, who is really talented, is like, you know, why don't you think about doing a podcast? And we do at our organization have two other podcasts that operate on a national level and are very different. One is short circuit. They do circuit court decisions. Mm -hmm. So legal heavy, like lawyers are the main audience. Mm -hmm. And then another called Bound by Oath that's also like all about the Constitution, very legal heavy. So we had a little bit of institutional knowledge about podcasts, but in a very different realm. And I'm a ham. And like, as soon as the possibility that I would be the host of a podcast came (laughs) on the floor, I was not scared at all. I was like, yes, I want to do that. Let's do it. And I think that at times I've been protective of the idea because I'm like, as soon as we started working on it, I think I had a vision for what I wanted it to look like. And it's been very much like driving forward. Like, how do we achieve that vision? So did you volunteer or was it handed to you or a little bit of both? I think it was a little bit of both. Okay. And was it an easy sell, this idea of a podcast for whatever approvals it had to go through to say, yes, we're going to invest in this project, we're going to move forward with it? Was that sort of an easy decision for the organization to make? Yeah. So I'm lucky that at the Institute for Justice, we work for entrepreneurs and we try to really embody entrepreneurship like every person who works in the office. So I think when people come to the table with sort of outlandish ideas, you're greeted with, that's really cool. Let's figure out how to make it work instead of, I don't know if we have the resources. And eventually, sometimes the answer is, I don't know if we have the resources. But the initial sort of way that you're greeted is one of like excitement and optimism. And so the process, it wasn't hard necessarily. I think I just had to be really organized about explaining like what I wanted the scope of the project to be and explaining what the costs associated with that are because we have only done these other two podcasts and they're different in scope. You know, they're like 45 minutes long and they're highly produced. So I needed to give them a really clear shot of like, this is what I want to do and this is how much it's going to cost and this is how much of my time it's going to take up. But I think setting those boundaries early on has made everything go better. And how did you come up with the concept for how you wanted it to sound and feel? I know that you were very clear that you wanted these to be very short, very concise, a lot of value in a very small space of time. How did you come up with that? So I think it was guided a lot by what kind of resources I knew I had. The original idea for House Business wasn't that we would visit with individual entrepreneurs. It was that we would get tables at conventions. And then at those conventions, we would invite people to like a little booth behind our table and do the interviews. And so based on that format, I was like, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. These are entrepreneurs I might just have met. So I want to ask them all the exact same questions. And I don't want to expect that I'll get any more than 20 minutes of their time because at a convention, you're probably not willing to stop and chat with someone for longer than that. So that sort of vision was what was guiding it. And then I also wasn't entirely sure when we first embarked on this, if I was going to be able to hire a podcast producer. And so I was like, whatever I do, I need it to be simple enough that if we don't get to hire someone, I can muddle through it. So I was very resistant to any like, let's add bells and whistles. (laughs) 
<laughs> or let's like rearrange parts of the interview so that this is up front. I'm like, no, I want it to be very streamlined so that if this all wound up on my lap, I would still be able to carry it. And so then what shifted instead of doing the conference route? Why did you decide to do what you've been calling a listening tour mm -hmm. and actually go around to different neighborhoods? Do you always meet at the actual business or not always? Not always, but usually okay. we do meet at the actual business. We have a pretty sophisticated setup that minimizes for noise. So, for example, I've done a couple coffee shops and with the grinder in the background, I think mm -hmm. you can hear it. But it's like, you know, it's texture. It's good. We like it. It's not like so overpowering that it becomes a huge distraction. Mm -mm, no, we even did uh, Jimmy's Vegan was done. Uh, we met at a library, so I thought perhaps we would do the library. But he was like, there's a park right across the street. I think mm -hmm. we should camp out there. And I was like, it's a beautiful day. That's a wonderful idea. There was a truck that was backing up and you could hear the beep, beep, beep. I'm like, crap, this is going to sound terrible, but it was totally fine. But yeah, we switched from the first model to actually going to people's businesses because the interviews we were getting at conventions just weren't that interesting. We were doing the conventions through the city of Chicago, the small business expos. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the folks at small business expos were freelancers and they're absolutely entrepreneurs and an important part of the ecosystem, but not necessarily people who are up against regulatory challenges that are going to be interesting. So, for example, the guy who owns a denim manufacturing company mm -hmm. isn't going to take his time out to go to the city of Chicago's free small business expo. Right. So the kinds of businesses that we were talking to at those expos just like weren't really super compelling. Mm -hmm. So we decided to switch gears. And if you had told me this is the way we were going to do it at the very beginning, I might have felt overwhelmed because it does take a lot of time to drive to a location, to spend 40 minutes talking to someone, to drive back from that location. That's like three hours of your day. And I have a full-time job that existed before this podcast started. But I think it's been really rewarding. And I can get a lot of my other work done while I'm in the middle of that interview. You know, part of my job is also like keeping track of some legislative issues. And so we were just doing an interview where someone talked at length about the public place of amusement license. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's two ways to learn about that. I can chat directly with this entrepreneur. I can learn about it online. I would have spent three hours doing it anyway. Yeah, for sure. It's been worth it. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's one thing to keep in mind is that for someone who is doing a podcast with an organization or a company, whoever is in charge of that, whoever the main liaison is or the main in-house producer, you probably have a full-time job already. And this is something being added on top of it. Absolutely. As opposed to like, oh, I am a full-time podcast producer and this is what I do. This is my business. And so how you allocate your time is really important. And also, in some cases, outsourcing can be a huge benefit. And I know that you said in the beginning you weren't sure whether you were going to be able to outsource or how much of it you would. Mm -hmm. How did that decision get made? At what point did that become apparent that, A, it was going to be possible, and then, B, that it was going to be a good value? So this is just like advice for anybody who winds up with the exciting prospect of adding a podcast to whatever mix you're already doing at work. It's a good idea to like be sort of protective of your time and not overcommit because then you'll wind up doing poorly at your job and a poor job at the podcasting. I had faith that I am going to be a great interviewer and that I would even probably be good at the editorial part of it, so like cutting the episodes down. But I had no background in audio editing, and I was just like, that's not a skill that I want to pick up. And if I wind up having to do it, it's going to come at the cost of doing a whole bunch of other things that I am actually good at. 
So I just tried to find the parts of this process that I was like, this is not something I know how to do or that I have any interest in learning how to do. And then I put those all together and started to lobby for hiring someone to take on those parts. If you're like me and you're doing, you know, 40 minute episodes that you really want boiled down into smaller pieces, I assumed that getting someone to dive into that editorial part was going to be really expensive because it isn't so mechanical. Like you have to actually be like listening and taking part in the creative process. And Andrea, you have done like (laughs) an incredible job. I think that going into it, that was the part that I felt most overwhelmed by. Like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go through these transcripts. It's going to take an hour and a half every episode. And that's after I've already sunk three hours into doing the interview. I was afraid to like let go of that control. And it's been really rewarding. I fortunately haven't had the experience of working with someone who wasn't synced up in terms of like what kind of content to keep in. I can imagine that would go totally differently. But if you can find someone who like is keyed into the kind of content that you want to keep in, that's incredibly valuable. That's something that's kind of unique about your show compared to other shows that I work on or other clients that I have is that there are clients who sometimes they do their 45 minute interview and they're not really particular about how long the finished episode is. And they really just want sort of more of the mechanical cleaning up of excessive ums and lip smacky noises (laughs) and long pauses and any obvious mistakes or start overs or things like that. But there's no actual editorial content editing happening. And then also the overall sound quality and the engineering piece of it. And that's definitely one way to work. But your show requires a little bit more editorial in that we are cutting out a lot of times half or more than half of Mm -hmm. the actual interview. And what's cool about that is that gives you the flexibility during the interview to kind of go down some rabbit holes. So you have your template of questions. And if I can even say like over the evolution of how many interviews have you recorded at this We've point? We've done about 28 now. So over like 28 interviews in a fairly compact amount of time, it hasn't been very long that you've been recording these. It's been like 14 months. It feels like forever. If you yeah. told me 14 months ago that it would take us 14 months to actually launch, <laughs> I'd be like, wait, but what are we doing? <laughs> but also you wanted to get all of these mm-hmm. interviews done or most of them done prior to launch so that they were ready to go. We had a formula, we had a flow rather than like, oh, we'll finish the first three, we'll launch and then we'll keep going Mm -hmm. from there, which is kind of nice because it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the timeline. But I think that even during the interview, that gives you a little bit of flexibility to go down a rabbit hole that sometimes even when you're recording, you'll say, I'm not sure if we'll keep this in or we (laughs) might end up taking this out. But it's interesting. Let's explore it. And so that gives a little bit of flexibility to find sometimes interesting stories that you wouldn't have thought of in the first place. But it does require more of that editorial process on the back end. And hence, you know, my fee is higher Mm -hmm. (laughs) for you than for someone who didn't want that. But it is kind of a different skill set that not every editor has. And so Mm -hmm. I think it is important for someone who's looking at hiring to make sure they know exactly what it is they want that editor to or producer to do and make sure that that person does in fact have that skill set. Do you have any other advice about hiring or about looking for an editor in terms of where to look? I'm try- we met through Facebook through a mutual friend, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. So what I did is first I posted the opportunity on Upwork and I had never used Upwork to hire anyone for anything. And I don't know that I will just because there is so much power in like getting a referral from someone that you're familiar with. So I posted on Facebook and then I also just contacted our national office to be like, who do you work with? What's their fee like? And how do you enjoy working with them? 
So we wound up interviewing three different potential producers and getting quotes from three different people. And we didn't wind up selecting the person with the lowest fee. I wound up selecting the person who felt like it was going to make the most sense in terms of what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I think the questions that you asked about workflow really helped me understand that you were going to be the person that I should work with because that felt like a pain point to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, this has to be as simple as possible. Otherwise, it's going to get lost in the shuffle of like everything else that you do for your nine to five. So I need to pick the person who's like asking questions that are related to that pain point. Like, yeah. how are we going to organize all of this stuff? How are we going to stay in touch? And I think some other podcasters were asking questions about style in the episodes. And at that point, I was like, I don't care about style in the episodes. <laughs> I just want to make sure they get done. <laughs> Well, first of all, why don't you walk the listener a little bit through what our editorial process is like? Because I think yeah. that what we've created is kind of unique. Yeah. So I'm going to point out a few places throughout this process where like it wouldn't have been possible even three years ago because technology is so cool. Right. But basically, I do an interview. I take that interview and I plug it into Descript. And Descript creates a transcript of the interview. And I think it's like seven cents a minute. So we use that transcript send the interview file and the transcript to Andrea. Andrea has 40 minutes of me talking with someone and ask her to boil it down to, you know, 15 minutes. So 40 minutes to 15. And then Andrea recreates a transcript, sends it to me. And then I do a first pass where I ask perhaps to bring some stuff back in, but usually just to keep cutting a little bit more and then send those edits to Andrea. And then Andrea gets another version back to me that includes mine. And then I sit with my supervisor, Beth, who's the director at the IJ Clinic, and we listen to it together. And then Beth has additional edits and Beth is really listening and keeping like a keen eye on like, what is the purpose of this podcast? Is this episode achieving that purpose? Are we going to put our foot in our mouth or like, are we going to burn a relationship with this entrepreneur we're working with if we include this part? Like all these really important things. And then we send those edits back to Andrea and then she spits out the final beautiful version and things along this process. Like three years ago, Descript probably didn't exist. So we wouldn't have been able to have a quick and easy transcript that was also inexpensive. And because I'm not an audio editor, I didn't want to edit audio. I wanted to edit text because that's like what's familiar to me. All of these transcripts live on Google Docs and we go back and forth with that sort of collaborative thing. So, I mean, Google Docs were around three years ago, but imagine, you know, th there's a lot of technology that makes this all possible that if I wasn't familiar with it or if it didn't exist, I don't think this podcast could exist at all. Oh, it's podcast angel time and I could not choose between all of the available angels. So I'm going to give you three, but I promise to give them to you fast. Deal? Number one, Descript. It is a software service that we could not live without. Descript will take your audio file, transcribe it for you, and you can actually edit the audio from the text documents. You can also use your transcripts to create show notes and so much more. In fact, over on LinkedIn, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be publishing a how-to article on how to use Descript to maximize your podcasting potential. Also, if you want to try it out, I've got a hundred free minutes of transcription for you when you sign up at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash Descript. Podcast angel number two is Moi and my team, the Creative Imposter Studios is your go-to resource for podcast production and editing 
especially if you are an impact podcaster. If that sounds like you, reach out and book a call with me to see how we can help you. Thecreativeimposter.com forward slash T for 20. That's T T E A for F O R 20. Number three podcast angel is the craft and culture behind the scenes with Podcast Envy available to you exclusively through patreon.com. Big surprise, you can find the link in the show notes for this episode or directly at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash craft and culture. I'll be doing an episode on how to create the right relationship with your podcast guests. We think so much about our audience all the time. Everything is about the audience, as it should be. But what about our guests? I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. Once again, the show notes can be found at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash pod envy 049. All right, let's get back to business with Stacey Massey from House Business. Also going back to like the idea of style, the first few that I did, you definitely had more revisions for me off the first pass, right? Because I was kind of trying to Mm -hmm. guess as a listener, what would be interesting to me? What would be kind of boring to me? Then again, maybe I am or I am not your target demographic. So, you know, there's those kinds of questions I'm trying to like listen in that way. And so I think that once we had done a few episodes back and forth, I could learn, I could get better at predicting, mm-hmm. oh, Stacy's going to hate this part or, oh, Stacy's definitely going to want to leave this part in. And so then the back and forth became a lot less as time went on for sure. That's definitely, definitely the case. And even Beth, when we're going through episodes now, we've switched to a model where we used to sit and review two episodes at a time mm-hmm. and it just made for a lot of meetings. So now we do <laughs> eight episodes at a time. And Beth's like, it could be because I'm just getting fatigued from editing, but I think that you and Andrea are just getting better and better all the time at making these what we want them to be. And I think that it's probably the latter. Yeah. And who is your target demographic exactly? How would you describe your ideal listener for house business? For me, the ideal listener is a chief of staff or an alderman who they just met with a constituent. They're thinking about changing a lot and they're like, I want an example of how this is affecting other people. So it doesn't really matter to me that like a bunch of people listen to How's Business. It matters to me that when a lawmaker is asking, give me an example, I have a clip that I can share with them that gives like a very real person who has a very real experience in Chicago and like how that specific business regulation isn't working. And I think that's really smart because it's part of the power of podcasting, like the potential for an organization or a company to use podcasting is that story element, that like human connection story element. I was at a podcasting conference a couple of years ago and Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment was one of the keynote speakers. And he mostly played like a bunch of clips from different stories that had been featured on Snap Judgment and then talked about how those stories impacted something else in real life, right? And how it's one thing to say, oh, we need to do this and we need to change this and this is bad and this is wrong and this is affecting X number of people and blah, blah. And then it's another thing to have an actual like story of a person that this is affecting or that this is happening to or that this is important to that our brains kind of are more attracted to Mm -hmm. the story and, and it makes a bigger impact. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. 
What are some of the other measurements for success that you're looking for for How's Business? So you mentioned that it's not necessarily important to you to call this a successful venture to have hundreds of thousands of downloads of How's Business overall, but that's kind of the easiest measurement that we have right now for podcasts. So what are your metrics? What are you looking for? How will the organization look at this and say, like, this was a great project. It was a success. Okay, so the the Lightfoot administration is coming in. There's a new wave of aldermen who are coming in. There are people who are entering leadership roles who are probably going to be looking for what's the policy issue that I should really hang my hat on? What should I be pushing out there? What should I be advocating for? And so even a few times over the year, someone's reaching out to us as the people, the advocates, the people who listen to small business owners. That only happens a few times and we're able to share like what we say because, you know, we're just policy people and attorneys who like sit in an office. If instead we're able to share the very real voices of the entrepreneurs we work with, I think that would be a success because we have different metrics because they look different. We don't fit into some of the boxes. Like I remember we built the website and on the website, you know, you tag every episode and the template we're using isn't really meant to have a billion tags per episode. But for me, it's so important that if an alderman wants to know more about how small business owners are interacting with Chicago's sign code, that they can go to our website, they can click sign code, and they can get five examples of five different entrepreneurs in five different neighborhoods and like what their very real experience with the sign code is. So I understand that like aesthetically, (laughs) you don't (laughs) want 45 tags, but I don't really care (laughs) as long as that long-term goal of policymakers being able to find very real stories is achievable, I'm willing to like break some of the other rules. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the other rules is also a 45 or 30 minute episode. I know that a chief of staff is not going to listen to my 30 minute episode. Yeah. So that's also part of the reason that the, you know, eight to 15 minutes makes a lot of sense for us. You know, sometimes it's easy to cut an episode down. And sometimes it's really hard because there's so much good stuff there that you're actually taking out really good stuff. And you're like, well, I have to say goodbye to you (laughs) in in the interest of serving the greater good. (laughs) What has been the most fun part or rewarding part of this process for you? I love getting out of the office and chatting with people. It's just fantastic. I remember when I worked at the night ministry, the shelter where I worked, the most rejuvenating part, you know, when you're like down on the amount you were supposed to fundraise that month or whatever, the most rejuvenating part was to like go out with the health outreach bus and work directly with the people and understand like why you come to work every day, why you get stressed out about fundraising. It's because there are people whose lives are impacted by the services you offer. So at the IJ clinic, like this is that version. So it's like, why do we meet with the legislators and do the policy reports and plan the events. And it's because there are people who really benefit from the guidance that we're able to offer. So in this most recent batch of interviews that you've sent me, you've been interviewing specifically a lot of businesses that have a mobile business model, whether that be a food truck or whether that be a mobile massage business or there's one that does craft ice. I feel like in this batch of interviews, there are some really interesting characters Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the mix. Have there been any of the businesses that you visited where the space was either like really incredible or amazing or interesting or where you just had a really, I don't want to say like, what's your favorite interview? Because that's that's weird. But yeah. So Just Ice was incredible. This Mm -hmm. is a craft ice manufacturer that is in the basement of the plant, which is like a co-working space for businesses in back of the yards. 
And I had no idea what to expect. Uh, You know, I've never been in an ice factory and they just have like 300 pound blocks of ice that they saw apart into the beautiful craft ice that we have in our cocktails. Also, the owner is like a five foot two woman who used to be a race mechanic. Uh So that's also really fun is just seeing people unabashedly making a really cool life for themselves. Like, yeah, yeah, I just make all the ice in Chicago, all the pretty ice that's because of me. (laughs) And also Dearborn Denim was really cool. A denim manufacturer, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect. But also hearing him tell me about what kinds of like makeshift things they would have to do if a piece of equipment was out. Right. And I think that sometimes we think businesses rake in so much money and are so sophisticated that certainly they're not piecing together. But business owners are the best problem solvers and they have some interesting like piece together ways of doing things. What's been the most challenging part of creating house business or if not the most challenging, is there anything that has surprised you or gone differently than you expected? It's a lot easier than I expected to get people to talk to you for a podcast. And I hesitate to say that because I don't want it to stop being true. (laughs) But I majored in journalism as an undergrad. And I remember trying to get people to let me interview them for like a story. And for some reason, people are like way more responsive for this medium. So that's been great and hard. I don't think that I really knew how much time I would be taking to do each of the episodes. I don't regret it. And I think that the episodes have turned out good based on the amount of time I'm willing to invest in them, but it has been more than I thought. So what about the other pieces besides just recording and editing? There are other pieces that go into a podcast, right? Like there's theme music, there's cover art, there's some social media. How did you go about making decisions on all of the different elements that go together in making the show? We were lucky to work with someone internally to do the first episode. And so if you're doing a podcast on behalf of your organization, they probably have a lot of like style guidelines about what their branding should look Mm -hmm. like. And I didn't feel super comfortable like just whipping something up and hoping that it would work. So for our first episode, we worked with internal people who have this skill set and they helped us create, you know, the jazzy thing you hear when we first come on and the closing. So it was good to have people who are really in tune with our brand, helping us on that first step, creating a template that then we could go to podcast producers and say, like, this is what we're hoping to achieve. And then in addition to the intro and outro, there's, you know, the image that gets put with the podcast. And I kind of want to like give my office like a pat on the back about anticipating all of the deliverables we need to be collecting along the way so that we would have a ton of stuff and could plug some or none of it in, depending. So for every interview that I went to, I took a picture of the person with like the one word they would use to describe doing business in the city. And whenever we were like, okay, we have enough episodes, we should start thinking about what the website's going to look like. I was thinking like, these pictures are worth nothing. I went and got an iPhone 10 with portrait (laughs) mode just so that I could build them into this website. And these pictures are so stupid. But then I sent them over to our team. We're lucky to be part of a national nonprofit that has a design team. I sent them over to them and I said, like, is there any way that we can make these usable, like put some intrigue back into them? And of course they did. And they look great now. Yeah. So I would say if you can along the way, collect all kinds of deliverables, understanding that you might only use 10% of it. Even if they seem crappy at the time, if you have talented people with you, they can really whip it into something else. So what we also collected along the way is like we had an intake form that people said what side of the city they identify most with because we were imagining, okay, we could have a map on the website where like you clicked on it and then you could see a little thing of like where all our businesses Mm -hmm. are coming from. That doesn't exist. It might in the future because we 
did collect that stuff along the way. But don't assume that you can think back and be like, oh, yeah, that mobile business. Did they say that they identified as Westsiders or Southsiders? Like you don't want to be making those guesses for other people. Was that your idea to ask the one word or phrase to describe what it's like to do business in the city of Chicago? Yeah, yeah, it was. I've done a couple Giving Tuesday campaigns with like other organizations and I feel like it comes up with Giving Tuesday every time. I almost feel like it was me being less than creative, but it wound up working (laughs) well. It's a good way to like get someone to communicate something, just them holding a word. Did you anticipate what kinds of answers people would have? You know, a lot of people say the same words. So kind of like a lot of people who've said opportunity, a lot of people have said interesting I think it's really cool to watch everyone or almost everyone choose a positive word, even though we've just had a really challenging conversation about what it's like to do business in the city. I think it goes to show you like how much perseverance people in the city of Chicago have. There have been a few who have gone with words like frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have <laughs> been a few. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, this this person is like serving it to me real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're in this position as the IJ clinic. And as the podcast producer where, of course, we don't want everything to be a rose garden. Otherwise, there's no reason for the podcast to exist. There's no reason for the interview if everything's great and awesome. Mm -hmm. Conflict and challenge is what, A, makes it more interesting to a listener. But beyond that for your mission, it's also the point of the podcast is to point out what these challenges are and what these frustrations are so that policies can be shifted, made, changed, improved, etc. But you walk a fine line because some of the guests have a lot to say and are very opinionated on certain things. So I found that really interesting to see that balance between critique and criticism without trashing something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We don't want to trash anything. We want it to be a constructive sort of podcast. We want people to walk away with learning how to be better, but not thinking they're terrible, you know, because once you think you're terrible, it's like, why do you do you even have any incentive to try to be better? Right. All of these business owners have also just spewed about how much they love this city. Yeah. And so we want to honor the assets of Chicago as well as like the opportunities for growth. Yeah. For you personally, for Stacy, who is transitioning into this new phase of your life and your career into law school, what has been the biggest benefit that you have personally gotten from this project? So I love telling people I'm the host of a podcast. I mean, that's great. My boyfriend is also the host of a podcast. So we're like, oh, yeah, we're a podcast couple. What is his podcast? Uh, His podcast is Cash Considerations. It's a podcast about the bulls. Nice. So, yeah, I majored in journalism. I never worked as a journalist, but I think that my curiosity or my interest in journalism came from just like getting people to be candid with me. I just like want to know what's really going on. And so this has given me the opportunity to have conversations and to really get to the like meat of what people's experiences are, which is great. And I think that this for sure like won't be the last sort of audio project that I embark on, even though it is the first. So I am glad to have built the competency. Like I know how to use a podcast recorder. I know how to make a fantastic spreadsheet that will help my podcast editor and I stay on the same page. Mm -hmm. I know how much it all costs so that if I'm weighing whether or not that's a project I want to invest in, I know what kind of bite I would need to take. Mm -hmm. And then you've already given so much good advice for someone who is working on a podcast or launching a podcast inside an organization. Do you have any other advice for somebody who's thinking of that? Or do you have advice for other podcast producers who want to work with nonprofit organizations on their show? Yeah. So for people who are building a podcast, I think 
thinking about who your audience is and like what you view as success is important upfront. Because if you don't, then you really will get smacked with the like only 40 people have listened to this. And it's like, well, maybe those 40 people really matter. You know, maybe that was the goal. And if you don't have goals lined up, you're just going to get plugged into the regular metrics. And then for people who want to be hired by a nonprofit to do podcasting, I think just try to be really intuitive about what it seems like the person who's thinking about hiring you is worried about and then address those concerns. So even if you're really, really, really good at making fantastic sounding audio, the person who works at that nonprofit probably doesn't know anything about audio quality, or at least not yet. (laughs) So really try to like sell them on things that are related to their pain points. So like you seemed very in tune with my interest in process. And that was why we ultimately wanted to hire you. And like I listened to a few of the episodes and that you had created to know that this wasn't going to sound terrible. But ultimately, (laughs) it was like more about how is it going to be to work with this person? Yeah. And then is there anything else that you want to share with listeners? Yeah, I want to share that the IJ Clinic on Entrepreneurship is engaged in all kinds of really great legislative battles all the time. Right now, we're working with street vendors in Chicago, so tamale vendors and hot dog vendors, to push a little further what they're allowed to do out on their carts. We're working with mobile merchants. So these are mobile boutiques on wheels to create a permanent license for them and to try to get it so that they can park a little longer than two hours each time they stop. So I just want to put out there that the small businesses that are in our communities are dealing with all kinds of like wonky red tape that doesn't really serve our interests or theirs. And to the extent that you can, it's a great idea to try to get involved. And you can check out our Facebook to learn more about how to do that. Thank you so much to Stacey Massey from the IJ Clinic on Entrepreneurship and How's Business podcast. The IJ Clinic is on Facebook at IJ Clinic and How's Business is on Instagram at How's Business underscore Chai, that's C-H-I for Chicago, all of which, of course, is linked in the show notes for your convenience at thecreativeimposter.com forward slash pod envy. 049. I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend you check out the House Business Podcast wherever you are listening to this one, especially if you are a small business owner, entrepreneur, interested in public policy, business legislation, legal matters of running a business, or a nonprofit or social impact organization getting into podcasting. And if you happen to be a small business owner in Chicago with a story to tell, the IJ Clinic wants to hear from you. There will be a link to their website with a contact form where you can reach out and share your story about licensing, legal issues, and advocacy initiatives to knock down barriers for entrepreneurs. You can leave your contact information to potentially schedule an interview or submit your story anonymously. Don't forget to check out all of the links for resources in the show notes, including the fabulous software that we mentioned in this interview, Descript, the Creative Imposter Studios production and editing services for impact podcasters, and the Craft and Culture Behind the Scenes podcast available via Patreon for $5 a month. Coming up next on Podcast Envy, you'll be hearing from another one of my clients, the Santa Fe Opera. Podcast Envy is produced by your podcast boss, Andrea Klunder. That's me. The Podcast Envy theme music is by Valentin Sosnitsky, courtesy of the Free Sound Project at freesound.org, and our podcast angel music is by Benjamin Mastropolito, also on freesound.org as Lemon Cream. 
All music is licensed under the Creative Commons. Our episodes are mixed by Edwin Ruiz. And hey, if you want your show to sound as good as ours, hire us. Put the magic audio mojo of the Creative Imposter Studios to work for you. Thanks so much for listening, and here's to making your podcast the envy of everyone else.